One of the consequences of the time difference between Sweden and the United States is that when someone in the U.S. wins the Nobel Prize, it's not like they're sitting at their desk in the office. The phone call comes really early in the morning, which is why most stories about the Nobel Prize start with something like this. I was just getting out of the shower when it, when it rang. So I wasn't properly dressed to receive the news, but there was nobody around. My wife was sleeping. This is Robert Schiller, an economist at Yale, who received this year's Nobel Memorial Prize for Economics. He was told that he won for his research on the stock market. Then he was asked if he would accept the Nobel Prize. He said yes. And he was told one other thing. He would be sharing the prize with a guy who also studies the stock market, Eugene Fama at the University of Chicago. We asked Fama the other question reporters always ask. Were you surprised to win? Of course. What do you mean, of course? I mean, people talk about names. It's always out there. Uh, right. But the problem is there are so many names that the probability that anyone gets it is not that high in any particular year. Maybe the cumulative probability of a lots of years is high, but... That's an awesomely quantitative way to look at it. <laughs> well, that's what, I, that's what I do after all. <laughs> Eugene Fama and Robert Schiller are an unlikely pair from different universities and really from different universes. When people heard their names announced together that these two guys won the Nobel Prize, people said, really? Like, those guys? Schiller, he's just fresh out of the shower. He had a similar reaction when he heard he was sharing the prize with Fama. That was a complete surprise. I hadn't thought that that would happen. He and I seem to have very different views. It's like we're different religions, you know? It's a certain assumptions, that basic assumptions are different. Schiller and Fama disagree about the most fundamental thing you can imagine. Fama looks at our economy and sees an orderly, rational place, where people are basically logical, and the market does everything for a good reason. Schiller, on the other hand, looks at our economy, and he finds the opposite. Bubbles, mass delusions, and things that he can only describe in terms of mental illness. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Robert Smith. Today we touch on some pretty weighty philosophical questions. Are we ruled by our heads or by our hearts? At our core, are we logical creatures responding rationally to rewards and punishments? Or are we dreamers falling in love and making some terrible mistakes with money? Will you put it in the more fun way instead? Yeah, it's essentially the old Star Trek question. Are you a Captain Kirk? Or are you a Spock? <laughs> and this is, this is a real economic question because, you know, when things go wrong, when we have recessions and financial crises, we need to know, are the markets logical? Can they save themselves? Or do they go crazy? In which case, we, the government, the taxpayers, we would need to go in and save them. The answer depends on who you think is right, Fama or Schiller. Okay, so how different are these guys, Eugene Fama and Robert Schiller? Let's take this one term, a word that everyone throws around. It's in the news all the time. The word is bubble. You know, bubble, like housing bubble, stock market bubble, dot-com bubble. You know, when the price of something goes crazy high, well above what it's obviously worth, and then comes crashing catastrophically down. Most famously, there was the tulip bubble of the 1600s in Holland, people paying what today would be thousands of dollars for things that they were just going to go bury in the ground. You know, bubbles. Uh, the word bubble drives me nuts, frankly. This is Eugene Fama, the man who believes the world is rational. And if you believe in a rational world, then the whole concept of bubbles doesn't make any sense. 
because the price is always right. It reflects the collective wisdom of everyone in the market. Yes, prices go up, sometimes way up, and sometimes they come down quickly. They crash. But it doesn't mean the prices were wrong. It doesn't mean the markets went crazy. Thomas' view is that prices change when people get new information. In fact, that's part of what he won the Nobel Prize for, showing that stock prices quickly react to news. That's why the word bubble drives him crazy. Fama says no one even has a good definition of this bubble thing. Yes, now here's where I d- d- differ from Fama in some fundamental ways. It's Robert Schiller, the one from Yale. He says he doesn't even know what a bubble is and thinks that no one has properly defined it. Actually, see, here's where I, I really respect the man. <laughs> I think that... In a way, he's right. It wasn't really carefully defined. So I wrote my own definition of it in the second edition of my book, Irrational Exuberance. Let's hear it. Well, I, I, I give kind of a long-winded definition. It's like a psych- <laughs> See, it's like a mental illness. If you look at the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which defines mental illnesses, the mental illness definitions consist of a checklist of symptoms Okay, so let's go through this Schiller checklist of symptoms you may be experiencing if you are living through a bubble. And we'll see how it applies to the most recent housing boom. Okay, bubble, first of all, he says, a bubble is a time of rapidly increasing prices. Check, home prices in Miami basically doubled in a few years. Okay, he says people tell each other stories that purport to justify the reasons for the bubble. Check, I have a book at my desk from this very time period. The title is Why the Real Estate Boom Will Not Bust. (laughs) (laughs) Bestseller. People tell each other stories about how much money they're making in a bubble. Check. The subtitle of the book is, And How You Can Profit From It. And, of course, there is the time when people feel envy and regret that they, too, did not participate in said bubble. Check. I did. Schiller says it's like a social epidemic. There's an impulse to buy into it because of the swirl of emotions that one feels. And it trumps your common sense. Oh, I would add one more. First of all, the news media are involved. (laughs) Thanks a lot for that. (laughs) Well, there were no bubbles before there were news media. The first famous bubble was the tulip mania, and Holland was the publishing uh, capital of the world then. There were newspapers, there were broadsides, there were pamphlets, and uh, I think that's necessary. Now, Schiller says that this pop psychology definition of bubbles, this used to be heresy in the economics field, but it's not anymore. Yeah, I used to feel embarrassed to say the word bubble. It's like showing up at an astronomy seminar and talking about astrology. You know, you don't get a good reception. I went through finance textbooks and looked, is the word bubble in the textbook? This is like 20 years ago. Absolutely not. That's just rubbish. Don't ever say that around here. Now it's in a textbook. Now it's back into the textbook, yeah. Okay, so that's Schiller's definition of a bubble. Eugene Fama's response is, so what? Lots of things that meet that definition don't crash. Here, this one's my example, not his. But look at Google, right? It had a rapid run-up in price. Check. Over the last nine years, Google's gone up more than 1,000%. Stories people tell to justify the high price? Check. The people at Google are geniuses. <laughs> Lots of emotions, envy, regret. Ugh, it used to be $85 a share, $85 a share, and now it is over $1,000 a share. Kills me. So is Google in a bubble? If it crashes, people will say it was a bubble, but we're asking now. Fama says if you think something's a bubble, 
you are basically predicting that it will end, as bubbles always end, in a spectacular crash. And he doesn't think anyone can do that kind of prediction reliably. Because I don't think there's anything in the statistical evidence that says there is reliable – anybody can reliably predict when prices go down. So if you interpret the word bubble to mean I can predict when prices are going to go down, you can't do it. Explain why. I believe markets work. And if markets work, those things shouldn't be predictable. If I can predict that housing prices will go down, if the market's working properly, they should go down now. Why? Because the, what you're saying is I have information that prices will go down and that information is not in the prices. If the market's working properly, the information should be in the prices. Because the people who believe it will go down would buy or they sell something. Bu- they that won't would push buy them. the house, right. If they think the prices are going down, they won't buy the house. So Fama argues that the bubble definition makes no sense because you cannot use it to predict you are in one. And then Schiller says you can't. Maybe not predict the actual date that a bubble is going to burst and a stock market will crash, but you can tell it's coming. You can have a fairly high degree of confidence. That's what I felt in the stock market in the 19, late 1990s. I wrote the first edition of my book, uh, Irrational Exuberance, then because and I was rushing to get it out. I told my publisher, Princeton, please get this out because I want this book out before the crash, not after. And then again, I felt that uh, in, the, in, in the 2000s with the housing bubble. Now, we should make this very clear. Schiller was on the record for these two events. He said there was a bubble in stocks in the 1990s. He said there was a bubble in housing in the 2000s. And he was right. All right, I'll, I'll take up Fama's side here. Fama's response is that he's looked at a lot of data of people trying to predict the stock market. And he says there is very little evidence that anyone is any good at it. Sure, some people seem to make a killing, but for the most part, he says, that can be explained by just dumb luck. There are millions of people out there making predictions, buying and selling stocks. Some of them will happen to pick the ones that go up, and they'll look like geniuses afterward. That's basically how he feels about people who say they can predict bubbles. So what happens each time is the media goes in and finds somebody who predicted it. That person gets anointed. You don't go back and look at past predictions and see, is this just luck? So was Schiller one of those people who was anointed by the media? Oh, yes. Because he happened to be right about this one, you would say. Right. Well, he and other people, there were others. You know, people have done experiments in the lab where they can create bubbles from sort of psychology, people feeding on each other and getting whipped up mm-hmm. into a frenzy. <laughs> right. right. What is that proof? <laughs> I, I mean, why do you find it so hard to believe that that might happen in the real world? Oh, it can. I, I, it, you use the key word, believe. I'm not a believer. I'm, I'm, I'm an empiricist. What would prove it to you that there were bubbles? Empirical evidence. Such as? Well, that you could show me that you can predict when these things turn in some reliable way. So what is your challenge to Robert Schiller? He should predict the next bubble. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> Well, not not just the next one, you know. Statistical reliability means more than two, really. The next ten? Well, the next ten would be really convincing. Yeah, then then I'd be convinced. This is it, David. We have a way to solve this debate. Finally, the gauntlet has been thrown down, and we presented the challenge to Professor Robert Schiller. Fama said he would believe there were bubbles if you could predict ten of them in a row. Yeah, but I don't live that long. 
You know, these big bubbles are rare events that t play out over years. They can go a long time. If you lived long enough, do you think you could make good on Gene Fama's request that you predict 10 bubbles in a row? <laughs> if I lived long enough, yeah. You do think you could? Uh, I think so. But, by, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm not the most self-confident person. Robert Schiller and Gene Fama told us they agree on the facts that the other has uncovered. They just don't agree on the interpretation. But to me, that seems like a big deal. Interpretation here is everything. If you think bubbles are predictable and due to crazy psychology, that suggests that something can be done to stop or to prevent them. If, on the other hand, you think bubbles are really hard or impossible to predict, well, then there's not much you can do. And this is where the economics Nobel differs from, say, physics or something, because you don't get the science prizes until everyone pretty much agrees on the topic. It's a done deal. Peter Higgs won the Nobel Prize in physics this year because they discovered the particle he predicted, the Higgs boson. 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 <laughs> Discoveries like that, I think, are harder to come by in economics. That's just the way it is. I mean, economics is more of like an evolving argument. Even in the press release, the Nobel Committee, they applaud these two men for doing work that, in their words, is surprising and contradictory. And, you know, talking to Schiller and Fama, I mean, they clearly have a love for this aspect of economics. They have a love of the argument. And they didn't seem terribly alarmed that two different worldviews will have to share the same prize. Schiller says it's kind of what he signed on for. There's something inherently difficult about, difficult about economics. It just Partly you can't run a controlled experiment. You can't replicate circumstances. It's, everything is changing all the time. Uh, I think we're doing pretty well, given the difficulty of the subject matter. Schiller's co-laureate Gene Fama says the Nobel Prize has accomplished one thing, at least. It's got people talking about this question. Well, <laughs> this is the first time anybody from NPR ever contacted me to do an interview, so we're talking 50 years here. People all of a sudden are interested in what you think and say, and you haven't really changed, so you wonder what, what it's all about. <laughs> Robert, you know, I, I told Fama that I actually did interview him several years ago. But then after we got off with him, I, I went and looked up the story, and it turns out I did not use any tape from him in this story. So he wasn't actually on the radio. Sorry. It is worth pointing out that there is a third man who is sharing the prize with Fama and Schiller, Lars Peter Hansen from the University of Chicago. And Lars was added to this prize basically for figuring out the statistical math for how to resolve debates just like this. Not that anyone's done it yet, but the Nobel Committee clearly wanted to give us a little hope. As always, we'd like to know what you think. You can send us email, planetmoney at npr.org. Or find us on any social media you can think of. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Spotify. Do we have an Instagram account? For the t-shirts. All right, see the shirt. Search the hashtag. I'm Robert Smith. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thanks for listening. Look at all the money. I've looked everywhere. Baby, ain't it funny? I'm forever blowing bubbles. Pretty bubbles.